you know, I maybe I didn't realize it at the time that she really listened to what I was saying, but I cherish that now. And so, and there's been people in my career that have, I've clinged on to for help or um, looked up to for and gone to for coaching and mentoring and guidance. And um, I just really appreciate that. And I just watch her grow up and go on to be, you know, senior NCO. And so it's, it's fun to watch them learn and grow up right before your eyes. Tiffany, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, appreciate you letting me share this story with you. I was born and raised in Santa Rosa, California, which is in Northern California. So just north of San Francisco, to put things in perspective, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. You know, most of the girls went on to college. That was the expectation. Not me, though. I was uh, intrigued by military service from an early age. My grandparents all served in the military. My, my grandfather was a Marine. My grandmother was an Army nurse, and they served during World War II. And then my mom's uh, parents, her dad was a, a Navy man, a yeoman during World War II. And so I always grew up with their um, listening to their stories. So from an early age, I always knew that that was sort of more of a calling feeling for me. So I got through high school. I just I tried to go to junior college and my parents were uh, urging me to just try it. And if you don't like it, then join them, join the military. And so sure enough, I think I was 21 or 22 when I actually joined the Marines. So I was a little bit older than your average 18, 19 year old uh, fresh out of high school recruit uh, being you know over 21 and being 22 and joining the marines i did have a few years of just w living and working on my own so a little bit older than the group but i was definitely felt it was more of a calling for me and i was lucky enough to land the mos the military occupational specialty of a combat correspondent so what that means for the marine corps is being a photographer broadcaster, uh, community relations, media relations. So I, I definitely got the MOS that I wanted to when I joined the joined the military. And at that time, women were excluded for combat arms MOSs. So I felt that that was, uh, I really lucked out there. But at that time, I was really yearning to go back to college and, and try to finish up my, my degree. So I knew that I really, I loved the Marine Corps. I enjoyed all parts of it. Luckily, there were, of course, ups and downs and emotional, emotional days and stretches of um, being, you know, away from family and moving around. So, but I did feel that uh, my experience was uh, a good one. Luckily, so a lot of times, you know, in those early days in the '90s, even you know, some some women in the military, it, it, it's not, it's it's very tumultuous the first few years until you find your place. So I was lucky in that way. Um, but then I transitioned to the reserves from the Marine Corps active duty, transitioned to the reserves. So that first transition for me in 2000, there wasn't the enormous support that there is now. So going through my transition where I get the DD-214, um, it was very just, okay, good luck. Um, good luck with whatever you're doing. There was some transition assistance, but my real goal was so I can go back to college. So I really had a goal of going back to university. I used my, back then, the Montgomery GI Bill. So it wasn't 
much, uh, but it was enough. I, I still had to work. I worked my way through school, but I, I call it, you know, some people call it the four-year degree, a bachelor's degree in four years. Mine was the 17-year plan. I was on the 17-year plan because by the time I graduated college, it was 17 years. So it was just a really a goal that I just sort of had in my in my sights. And so that was something I wanted to accomplish. So I chipped away at it through active duty periods. I'd go to take one class a night. I would take one one session or maybe Saturday classes back before they had online courses, right? So I was just chipping away at it slowly but surely. So I had in order in order to accomplish that, I had to get out so I can go to the traditional day classes in order to get that final year or two. So that's how I ended up um, transitioning to the reserves. But at that time, 9-11 happened. So everything changed at 9-11 because I was still an active drilling reservist in the Marine Corps, living in San Diego and drilling at Camp Pendleton, California. So I got um, mobilized immediately within a year of 9-11 to go to Afghanistan. So, um, so I transitioned out of college student life in back into active duty. So it was an emotional time because I was so close. I was just one semester away from graduating and then I was mobilized to active duty. Um, it wasn't a volunteer situation. It was a, you will mobilize, um, when they needed troops to go to Afghanistan. So, so that uh, sounds like a big I mean, that's, that sounds like a lot because I, I transitioned from active, my first nine years was active duty. And then I went into the reserves, you know, in the, in the army, got mobilized a couple of times. Um, like, but you just, you just said a mouthful. Like I, what was that like going from active duty to the reserves with a goal in mind to complete a college degree and then just to, you know, get, Hold, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking leaving, leaving active duty life and going to college life and then being pulled from college life back to active duty status. Like, what was that like? Well, it was um, emotional. But at that time, remember how we all felt after 9-11? It was like, what can I do? I want to be a part of uh, if you need me, I'm there. So but I, you know, I had my sights set on I, I could left active duty. I was working at a TV station in Oceanside, California. I was hosting a TV show. I was producing. I was um, really engaged. I had a lot of momentum because I was going to be the next Barbara Walters or Katie Couric or um, I really was. I was that was my goal. Like I was going to go work in TV and uh, finish my bachelor's degree and be the next um, Katie Couric, a morning TV show host. And so it was at times it was disappointing because I was, uh, it was a huge setback for me mentally. You know, I was just financially, I was on my own. I was living uh, by myself. And so I just was barely making ends meet. I was just making it, but I was working and trying to keep everything together. So I got mobilized and I went to Afghanistan in 2002, late 2002, early 2003. And in early 2003, all of a sudden Iraq kicks off and I'm in Afghanistan watching as Iraq was kicking off, where all of my cohorts, a lot of people that I'd served with, um, were in Iraq, and I thought I was missing out on what the biggest thing was going, was Iraq. So um, the transition 
was smooth, but I was had just leveled off my finances and making sure that I was set up for success to graduate. So, uh, but I went to Afghanistan and I did a tour there. Um, and then I plugged back into, um, back into school and I ended up, um, graduating from college in 2005. So that was my 17 year plan. So I, uh, was plugging, had kind of always one foot in and one foot out, but, um, I can see so many now who the, you know, young service members who get out and their, their goal is to graduate school. And they realize that if I stay in the reserves, I might get mobilized here. So the risk of getting mobilized for the last 20 years, as we're now, we're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and mo- reserves have played such a large part in supporting our missions around the world that staying in the reserves, you always run the risk, you know, of, of getting mobilized. So it's difficult um, to balance that. What do you want now? And what do you want later? What do you, you know, what are your long, long view goals? I want to graduate college, but the nation needs me. I'm going to continue to serve. Now at this time, were you married at all? No, no, I wasn't married. So I was just on my own, um, trying to manage, you know, a household of my own and then getting mobilized to deploy. There's a lot to do and you don't have really that support network yes. to help you. <laughs> where, where right. And, and that's what, a, you know, yeah. a lot of people will say things because I was single my whole career and a lot of people will say, well, at least you don't have to worry about a spouse and kids and X, Y, and Z. But I think each has its own challenges because while I didn't have to worry or you didn't have to worry about a spouse or kids, that also meant that if it was going to happen, you had to make it happen. You didn't have somebody back in the rear taking care of whatever needed to be taken care of. You had to do it before you left. And if it needed needed to be addressed while you were deployed, oh my gosh, good luck with that. It it was difficult, and um, it I had gotten married a few years later, and thankfully, you know, my spouse was able to help with all the bills and holding down the fort. And it was difficult to be away, but I knew that um, having that stability and making sure I didn't have to pack up the household and put it in storage, or is someone in my house while I'm, you know. 10,000 miles away was, uh, it's always reassuring. Um, it's difficult and, and service members with family and kids at home, though, I can see obviously that that creates challenges. It's very difficult. So that dipping into the reserve. So when the reservists get mobilized and then they come off mobilization, they get their DD-214, but it's just a, a roller coaster of emotions every time you get mobilized. And so, I, I have 10 DD-214s. So through the years, fast forward to now, I have been mobilized and demobilized 10 times of my initial active duty. So it's always going through that emotional roller coaster of, okay, now where do I pick up and plug back into either my civilian job or I, I subsequently went back and got my master's degree. So it's just this in between mobilizations back to, um, and then I ended up doing two years of depo- two year long deployments to Iraq and then in all three tours to Afghanistan 
and a bunch of other mobilizations. And so um, that roller coaster of uh, packing the packing the sea bag again, and then you know coming back off active duty, and then sort of restarting at the start and stops is very emotional. And um, that feeling of like I, I when I'm deployed, I wish I was home, and when I'm home. I I miss that deployment life. And so it's the roller coaster that I know a lot of your listeners also can uh, relate to. For the, for the person who maybe has not deployed, whether they're active or reserve, what is life like when you come back home from a deployment to being a woman and being deployed and coming back or just in general as a Marine? What, what's it like coming back home? Well, you know, you go through kind of a reintegration process. Uh, um, you exit the zone, the combat zone, and you go through the chaps talks to you, the financial people talk to you, and what life is going to be like, what you can expect when you get home, and some very predictable patterns of behavior. And family want to see you and celebrate, um, but you may not be want you may not want to celebrate. You may have um, other priorities. And so just aligning what it is that identifying what, what I really want to do is just have a weekend, a downtime, or you just want to watch TV, or maybe you want to go, um, do things with the family. And, and, you know, so everyone just kind of needs to know what the boundaries are and how you're feeling. And so I can remember some, you know, getting, getting home in the middle of the night and going back to my, my condo where it was no one's there, no one's there to greet me, no one's there to w- welcome me back from the airport or meet me at the house. And so that can be, you know, sometimes very difficult as well. So there's no fanfare, you just kind of are back and no one knows it. Or there's been times when people want to greet you at the airport and make a big deal about it. So um, and it's really for them too to be able to express their gratitude and, and do the right thing, what they feel is the right thing by welcoming people back. Um, so there's just a myriad of different uh, ways to celebrate a homecoming. And so while being so feeling that elation, like, oh, it's over, and you can drop the pack and uh, start anew and um, take some downtime. And then, but it's really a mental gear up for, okay, What's next? What do I have to do now? Um, whether it's go back to your civilian job or, you know, a new PCS, uh, a new moving on to a new duty station. It's kind of, it, it just always continues. So it's, it may be a temporary pause in the activity, but there's just gearing up for the next, uh, thing. And so finding that right balance of, not rushing right into a new project or just taking some breathing room, ha- having that space to building in white space to um, figure out what you want to do, whether it's just um, have a down weekend, go hiking, or do you really want to go shopping or go visit friends or um, go on a vacation? Like just all the different things that people you, you think of when you're deployed and when you come back, what, what are the things that are going to make you happy and um, how are you going to celebrate and reconnect with the people that you were stationed with? You want to be, you want to stay in touch. You want to stay connected to them. That's what they, the guidance and the recommendations are. Stay connected, check in with each other, do the buddy checks. Um, because when you make friends while you're deployed, those are just friends for life. Mostly when you connect with people, you're just going to always stay connected and, 
some of those are my favorite people and um i always love catching up with with them we you know being deployed together for six months eight months together day in day out you know everything about them by the time you leave and so when you're pulled apart from them and and you miss them and just trying to stay connected as best as best as possible Of those relationships that you have, are there any of them from any of your deployments that stick out of people you've connected with? And you have this big smile on your face. So that tells me you do. I do. I I have some friendships that are, they're, they're friends for life that I just cherish so much. One in particular comes to mind. I was a Marine staff sergeant. She was a Marine corporal during our 2006 deployment. So she was junior to me, and uh, but I was kind of like her, her supervisor, her immediate NCO supervisor. And But because we were female and we shared some of the same living quarters and we worked really well together, we we stayed friends. Uh, and we're, we remain very close friends now. And she went on and she, she got married. She has two, two girls herself. She's still in the Marine Corps and now she's a master sergeant in the Marines. So I've watched, like, I call her my little sister all grown up to be uh, a very senior NCO. And so watching her develop has been one of the greatest uh, gifts that friendship and that time period had for me because you know, the saying is that you're not a leader until you make another leader. And so I hope that some of my lessons for her during our very difficult deployment in 2006, um, she hears my voice through the years of telling her, don't do that, or here's my recommendations for this, or here's what you need to do. I hope I, I know she hears my voice through the years, but now she's able to um, lead people in her own right. And so we um, we share that special time together and we remain very close friends. She was actually my instructor in AIT when I first joined the military and then later on. Welcome. Hi, this is Sia, co-host at Innovation Calling Podcast here. I want to extend my gratefulness to all the men and women who have served our country. We've had the honor to highlight some amazing military leaders and learn how they've applied their experiences in civilian professional life. I'd like to give a shout out to retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding on how the U.S. can be more innovative for the future of telco, and Jim Murph Murphy, founder of Afterburner, on using continuous business improvement through flawless execution. It's that kind of discipline and constant drive to be better that I see in most veterans. And let's be honest, from a business perspective, it is most profoundly appreciated. So thank you for your time, your sacrifice, and love for our country. Keep on being you and proudly pursue your dreams. You've got this. And thanks again.
Well, you, the people that join the military are just sometimes the salt of the earth type people. And so when you click with them and you connect, they're just uh, no better feeling than when you know, like, if I called her Lynn Kinney in the middle of the night, I know no matter what, I could count on her to help me. You know, you just don't make friends like that in the regular workplace or, you know, in other places. And so um, I'm, if anything comes out of those is, is that lasting friendship friends for life. And I have many others too, but um, that one in particular, I'm most memorable for me and having a real impact when you can have an impact on people, whether you know it or not. And so it's kind of like having siblings, right? The the firstborn is always, you know, you don't really know the impact you're having on your younger brothers and sisters uh, until later and they look up to you. And so I... You know, maybe I didn't realize it at the time that she really listened to what I was saying, but I cherish that now. And so there's been people in my career that have I've clinged on to for help or um, looked up to for and gone to for coaching and mentoring and guidance. And um, I just really appreciate that. And I just watch her grow up and go on to be, you know, senior NCO. And so it's, it's fun to watch them learn and grow up. great thing about our veteran, I call it the alumni network, the most, uh, the strongest network uh, out there is if you're a veteran, there's this unwritten um, feeling you have towards veterans. And so any chance I get to help veterans, or I already know that um, they're vetted, they've already been through the fire, they've already done the things. And so there's a certain level of trust knowing that we've all kind of walked in those same footsteps. And so that's the great thing about being connected with other veterans groups is that we've already done that vetting part of like, um, is this person genuine? Are they sincere? Have they really suffered as much as me? Or have they done the things that um, we all know that uh, test us sometimes? And so that's been when you get out into the workforce and you and you kind of want to cling to, oh, hey, there's a group of Royal Marines over here and or uh, we've got a, a veteran meetup or something. Um, chances are there's some shared, obviously some shared experiences. And so once we transition and go out there on your own, you do want to cling to those veterans groups. And so there's so many great networking um, opportunities out there. So any veterans who get out and they feel alone, they're definitely not alone because there's ways to connect and plug in. Yeah. And that's what I hope that people can get from this is hearing those stories and find a way to connect with somebody else. Um, speaking of stories, right? So in the Marine Corps, you were a, what was it? A combat uh, communications or? That's right. Combat correspondent working in public affairs. Okay. Right. And and so you have with that, you've talked to a lot of people and heard a lot of stories. Um, are there any stories that, um, you know, and I know this is a long time, like 18 plus years. That, are there any stories 
that you have uh, been part of by reporting or interviewing or whatever that sticks out to you um, and had some sort of impact on you? Oh, gosh, uh, to me, there's so many stories, you know, almost um, they start to blur together. But there's definitely a common theme of um, military service members is that they uh, it's a calling for them when they join the military. Nobody's trying to get rich. Nobody's trying to get famous. Nobody's trying to, um, you know, act as an independent agent. Everyone is, you know, committed for the most part, to the mission of serving our country. And so with that and, and seeing some some um, service members in general just doing some real courageous things and being able to report on that, whether it's pulling a family from a burning car or combat action, her- heroism in a combat zone, um, saving a fellow Marine with, you know, some gallantry by jumping on a grenade that's, you know, saves his fellow Marines or um, just going to some great strengths to uh, serve their nation. So we've got so many examples of that. But I'll tell you one story. I was in um, in Iraq in 2006 and the famous actor, uh, martial arts expert, uh, Chuck Norris, right? Everyone loves Chuck Norris, action star. He came to visit the Marines at uh, Camp Fallujah as part of the Goodwill uh, tour for under USO. And so one of these people that they bring in, they, they were trying to get as many celebrities to come and visit the troops to lift their spirits during a very difficult time in Iraq in 2006. And so Chuck Norris came to see the Marines and did a, did a, a demonstration of his martial arts. And so afterwards, he took photos. He took photos with each and every last person that wanted one. He stayed for hours after the demonstration. And some of the Marines were so elated about him coming. And they do this next to, for, for no money, really, next to nothing, because it's a USO tour. And so they just really have a genuine desire to, to meet with troops and lift their spirit. And so um, I interviewed some of the Marines after the event, and they were so excited that uh, Chuck Norris would come all the way to Fallujah, Iraq, to visit with them. And I have them on tape and a recording, video recording. I took all the pictures. And then it was just a couple days later, some of these uh, combat engineers were on a foot patrol, and unfortunately... Uh, one of them had triggered a an IED that was in, planted in, underneath the uh, surface of the of the ground and um, stepped on it and unfortunately lost his life as a result of this IED. And so, um, but it was only just days before that he was just so happy to meet Chuck Norris and get photos with them, but. Being able to share the photos and the video with his family of his excitement and joy, one of the last days that he had with meeting with Chuck Norris, um, just by virtue of me being there and doing my job, I can give that gift to the family of that fallen Marine for, for their last words and images of their son who had uh, been killed by an IED just a, a day or two after this visit. And so some of those stories, those heart-wrenching stories of being 
um, able to capture imagery and then provide that to the families of the fallen or for Marines who it's helped them get a job or share with their families back home who they haven't seen. So that's one story that sticks out that uh, really just one of the instances of being proud to share their courage, share the courage of the sailors and Marines and soldiers and airmen throughout the years of the things that they would have done and that will continue to do has just uh, been an amazing experience for me to share their courage. And also that sense of um, like, you know, it was like something was just that fire was lit under him to say, okay, you mess with, you mess with somebody in my family. So kind of thing, but it's, you know, um, those chants, uh, why them, not me, I should have been there, I was supposed to be there, or something happened five minutes after you left somewhere, an IED or a suicide vest bomber or something, you know. So um, all of these things are, are mysterious coincidence, consequences that really can haunt you through the years. So while, you know, service members may not have any physical scars, but on the outside, but you may not know just how close they came or how many people from their unit or other instances where people were, were hurt or, or um, injured or killed. And so you just never know how that affects people when you have survivor's guilt and you have um, you have these instances that impact your life and it just makes you so grateful, really grateful to be alive, one, um, so you can return home. Um, but with that sorrow and sadness, you really have to be deliberate about um, channeling it into making it count, make their life worth your life. So go on and do great things. Go on and live your life to the fullest instead of being remorseful or sorrowful of their, of you know, fellow service members who you've known who have been killed, but take your life and make it the best you can for them with the, in their memory, do the best you can for them. Instead, some veterans really are, remain brokenhearted instead of channeling that into a purpose-filled life because that's what they would have wanted. Um, and so those are, those are really, that's really hard to sort through when you, when you're questioning, was this real? What was that all for? This was a waste of time and, and look at how badly people were injured or the, the or killed. So channeling that sorrow into really making the best life you can possible for all service members. I mean, not just ones who, you know, had some close calls and some real, difficult situations but um you know there's something floating around the internet is like be the american that is worth dying for and no matter what if you're a civilian or a veteran be an american worth their life or their sacrifice and so we have to always ask ourselves are we being americans that are worth someone dying for what we're what uh, when troops are called to action um, it's to preserve the American way of life. And so when they are killed or injured, are we acting, are we being the Americans that are worth dying for? So. Yeah, that, yeah, for sure. Um, mental health is an, is another big, an, another big thing that, um, can be 
can be a, a, a huge conversation within itself. Um, just, but you know, that's one of the things that I try because I had to, I had to change this mindset for myself of, well, I don't want to go get help because you know, I might lose my clearance or I don't want to go get help because I might be looked at as less than, but it, it's just not true. Just like you go get help for a broken leg. There's nothing wrong with going to get help for a broken brain. I mean, I mean, I don't don't want to call your brain broken or anybody's brain broken, but there's nothing wrong with going to get help for any issues. And that that survivor's guilt is real. I mean, it it is just, and so there's nothing wrong just to sit down with somebody and get them to help you um, process that. Um, so speaking of things to process. But wait, there's more. Just when you thought we were done. Um, <laughs> the, what? So, all right. Marines already pride themselves on being the few, the proud, the Marines. And then there's women who are Marines. <laughs> so, I mean, that's got to be. I mean, there. I don't know the numbers and the percentage, but of people who serve in the military, women are. While it is that percentage is increasing, it's still a low number. But I think even in the Marine Corps, it's even lower. Um, so what's that like? What, you know, what's something that I, what, what, what's that like? But then the other piece of it would be, um, what's, what's something that you think people kind of misunderstand about women serving in the military? Uh, or a, a woman being a marine? Are you, you know, just what's what? What are your thoughts on that? What are some things that you think people misunderstand or don't get about being a female in the military? Well, I think certainly in the past twenty years, the perceptions have changed um, of of how and why women would want to serve. I think when I joined, this was in nineteen ninety two, ninety three. I told people I was joining the Marines. I said, well, why would you want to do that? That's crazy. Why would you want to put yourself through that? Uh, so I thought, well, why not? Why take the easy road? Right. So, um, that's my, that's my story. I was just following in the footsteps of my grandfather and my grandmother. And it seemed like the logical thing to do. I wasn't a good student. I had no interest in really uh, doing well in school. So, uh, not that that equals going into the military, but I just needed a challenge. I think that's what it was. I needed physical challenge. I needed to, um, meet new people. And that was the best way. It was just a calling for me. But in the last 20 years, as you know, prior to 9-11, there wasn't the constant steady state of, uh, deploying and women serving. You had, um, you had tail hook. You had a lot of instances where females were um, more of a hindrance. And so it was a real challenging time to try to fit in or stand out or be accepted and didn't know the secret handshake. So now I think the, the past 20 years have proved that women can are willing to suit up, kid up, go forward. And bear the burden and risk it all just as much as, as men and want that challenge. And so the perceptions have changed, whether it's females, um, 
being fighter pilots or going through ranger school or um, other challenge, uh, taking it to the next level. Um, but I think that why, why would a woman want to serve is if you're patriotic and you want to meet new people and travel and serve your country, those are all just as legitimate questions to ask a young man than as a young woman. And so the burden is all of ours as Americans to serve our country. So however you do that in whatever shape or form is something that all people is the, the game now is not just for the burden is no longer just on men. So um, to be an in infantry, that's not how we're going to we're going to win wars uh, going forward, whether you're um, driving a ship or you're um, a fighter pilot. Um, there are jobs for women that have we've really moved the needle in the last 20 years. And so why why not join? Are you looking for a challenge? Uh, bring it on, because whether it's the Army or the Air Force, the Navy, the Marine, the Coast Guard, uh, some of these law enforcement jobs, you know, they're risking it all just as much as anyone else. Women are. So that has really, I think, opened the eyes of counterparts, male counterparts to say, hey, if she's willing to risk it all, I have no question about her ability or her commitment, her integrity to do so. So um, there's people, there's men out there who will lend a hand, coach, mentor, get you into position to where you need to be because they, their own, um, they're, they're, they want to succeed just as much as everybody else. And so by keeping people down, keeping people away, good people, that that's just counterproductive. And so anyone who's willing, able, qualified, who can meet the challenges um, are welcome. I think leaders, military leaders now, senior leaders, all all options are on the table to solve some some really complex problems, whether it's in cyber space, um, and communications. All of these really complicated war fighting lines of effort, they need all hands on deck. Anyone who's willing, able, qualified, and committed to the mission is who is going to be on the team. So the last question I would ask you would be this. You have done all of this interviewing and reporting and good old, good down-to-earth journalism, right? If, if And since you're the one used to asking questions, I, I would ask you, what is one question that I did not ask you that you wish I did or a topic that I didn't cover that you wish we did? That's always the great question at the end. So that's we're trained to ask people that. To well, uh, let me leave you with this though, Tiffany, and, and for your listeners, is that um, serving our country is great, is wonderful. It's a great way to uh, develop your network, um, better learn about yourself, and serve your country. Even more important is what do you do with that experience and those life enriching. Uh, relationships that you make going forward when you're transitioning after life in your post military life is what you do with it. Returning young Americans uh, back to society and returning them better than what they came into the military is really all the things that we want most. We want to return people back into the civilian sector, into the private enterprise sector, 
go on to own businesses, have families, be productive members of society and contribute to their communities. So while it's important to serve, what you do after you serve is really the legacy that you will that you will leave your family with. And so for for that um alone is what you want to be remembered for. Oh, she served in the military. But uh which is a great tra- a great tradition and it's a great calling. But what do you translate that into and what do you convert that experience into taking it to the next level of um being a trusted advisor and sharing your story and helping other people um live a full and enriching life. And so when someone says I want what she's got. Well, you were a, uh, you know, a veteran in the army or you served in the Navy and they say, I like that. I want that too. And so whether it's uh young high school, college kids looking to us for a, a start, or when they say how I want to be a veteran, I want to serve, or I want to join, I want to go to an officer candidate program. They say, I like, I want what that person has. And that's what draws people to join and we need to always look backwards kind of look in the rearview mirror and see who's coming up behind us and say i'm going to share my story because if we don't recruit top talent to join our military it's that next generation uh well we we have a vested interest in making sure that that next generation of military members is top notch and they they bring the same commitment and quality that we did say in our generation um, but then also what do we do with our life for going forward and always having that label of being a veteran, but then what, so what, then what, what do we do with that? And what are we, um, sharing with our communities? So those are the most important things going forward for veterans that people are look to you. People will look at you and look up to you. Take that seriously. Take that moniker and that title, um, to heart and show people really what it means to be um, a veteran because your service continues long after you stop wearing a uniform. Hi, this is John McCaskill, recently retired Navy SEAL commander. I just wanted to say uh, what an honor it was to serve as a, as a service member within the Navy and, uh, and what an honor it is now to be a veteran serving my fellow veterans in the nonprofit space. Thank you to all those who serve uh, or have served in in or out of uniform as a, as a service member or as a family member. So thank you to all the veterans out there and we remember and honor you. Thanks. Thank you. Have a nice day.